All right. Let's talk about grace. That is uh, where we're going today. Uh, there's a story from the life of C.S. Lewis that, that I've just always loved. Uh, one time at Oxford, a few of, of the professors, your Oxford dons, are sitting around and they're arguing amongst themselves about what makes Christianity unique, and they're naming different things, and how is it different from other world religions and all this. And, and in the midst of their conversation, C.S. Lewis goes walking by. And they call out to him and say, Jack, Jack, we have a question for you. His first name is Clive, but you don't go by Clive if your first name is Clive. Jack, we have a question for you. And they wave him in, and, uh, and they say, hey, settle this dispute for us. What is it that makes Christianity unique among the world's religions? And without missing a beat, he says, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. And there's so much to unpack in that, of why that is unique to Christian faith. But I want to center us in that word today, because we're in the Lord's Prayer. And uh, and this is our, our fifth word in the Lord's Prayer. It's grace. We pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, the series is Learning to Pray Like Jesus. It's a deep dive into the Lord's Prayer. And, and what we're doing is we are we're refreshing ourselves on this truth, that the Lord's Prayer is so much more than a prayer that we recite. It is Jesus' answer to his disciples' question, teach us to pray. It is a framework for how we pray. You can think of each line in the Lord's Prayer, not just as, as what it is in and of itself, but as, as maybe hooks that you hang your other prayers on or as, as headings that you pray under. And as we talk about each line of this prayer and the word that we're putting with each of these lines, as you are praying this, take a minute or two or three on each line and pray through each thing that Jesus told us to pray. Our first word is reflect, our Father in heaven. Jesus says, before you do anything else in prayer, Stop and think about to whom it is that you are praying. And Jesus says, my best shorthand for what God is like is he's like a really, really good father. So stop. Think of friends, when you pray, when you're praying this week, start by reflecting and stop there and just reflect on who God is. Second word is worship. If we are reflecting on who God is and we're doing it well, then something is going to come up inside of us, some response to that. The Bible calls that response worship. Stop and talk to God about his greatness, his goodness, his love. The third word is surrender. Uh, We pray. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, we come to God and we say, today I'm not going to squeeze you into my agenda. I am going to bring myself into your agenda. We surrender ourselves to him. Fourth word is ask. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus says, I want you to come to me and ask for what you need, to ask for what you want. Ask. And then, As vital as daily bread is for the body, so is forgiveness for the soul. So this brings us to our next word in the Lord's Prayer. And that word, our word to remember this, is the word grace. Grace that we might receive forgiveness from God and in the same way that we might give it to others. And if you will, think with me for just a minute about why we need this. 
right? I think forgiveness or grace, it's one of those words that it's easy to kind of make it a spiritual word, a church word, and kind of brush it off as unimportant, right? To make it something that's not nearly as concrete as those things that, that we, you know, the daily bread, the things we're asking God for every day. But I would suggest to you that it is, it is of utmost importance that grace is as practical for our daily life as practical gets. Friends, receiving grace from God, this is the secret to experiencing deep acceptance and intimacy in your relationship with God. Of experiencing true and heart-level release from your past mistakes. Freedom from the soul-crushing weight of guilt and shame. We need this. We need to be able to receive God's grace and do it well. And, and on the other side of this, extending grace. Extending grace to others, doing this well, will allow you to be free from the burden of hating people. And hating people is quite a burden. It's a lot to carry around. And our Father doesn't want that for us. In extending grace to others, we receive healing from our wounds that we've accumulated. We become untethered from those who've hurt us, right? How many of us still are tied, bound to people who hurt us even years ago? It's in extending grace to others that we find ourselves set free. And think too just about our our witness. For those here who are followers of Jesus, think about our witness to those around us. I would suggest that being a graceful, accepting, forgiving person that there is probably no better display of Christ-likeness that we can give to our friends and neighbors and loved ones than being a person of grace. If, if you are a follower of Jesus, your friends, your neighbors, they should recognize you. You should stand out as the most generous, forgiving person that your friends know. Right? Do you want that? I want that. It's in the Lord's Prayer, friends. Jesus is training us to be people of grace. Now, I don't know of any other tool as powerful as the Lord's Prayer for training us in this matter of receiving grace and giving it to others as well. So here's, here's where we're going this morning. Uh, we're we're going to look closer at the terms that Jesus uses in this, this short passage. They're very instructive. And, and with that, a parable as well that Jesus uses to unpack some of these terms for us more. And then with that, we want to talk about three different components in receiving and giving grace and what these look like as, as we walk with God day by day. So let's, uh, let's pray together, friends, and look at our text and pray this with me, would you? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Father, to that, uh, we would add this as well. God, that this is an area where we desperately need your help. Uh, Nothing may be more difficult than becoming people who really exemplify your grace. We confess, God, how easy it is for us to cut off others, how easy it is for us to hold grudges, 
how easy it is for us to walk in unforgiveness and in hatred. And God, we confess too how difficult it can be for us to come honestly before you, how difficult it can be for us uh, to be people who receive your grace and truly believe that we've received it. God, we just say that we need your help. So Lord, would you meet us this morning as we come to the scriptures, as we listen to your word, as we respond in worship and in communion, we pray, God, that you would be doing your work of making us more and more like Jesus. That's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Now, I, I, want us to, um, I want us to kind of go after this topic this way this morning. It's a huge topic. But where I w- really want us to focus is on the connection between these two. It's so interesting to me that Jesus connects us receiving forgiveness from God and us giving forgiveness to others, and not just connects them in kind of an ephemeral, one, once-off sort of way. But he says, when you pray, right, this is your daily practice, I want you to hold these two together, God's forgiveness of you and your forgiveness of others. And so it's going to be how we, uh, we try to frame this this morning. But uh, I want to slap this statement on it and just hold this in mind as we go through this text today. It's, it's this statement, forgiving people are forgiven people. Forgiving people are forgiven people. There is a connection between being a person who can give away God's grace and being a person who has taken in it deeply yourself. Forgiving people are forgiven people. Uh, Grace. We pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And uh, part of this, Part of this, is, as we look at this, is the, this connection, this, uh, this grace coming in and grace going out. Think of it, if you will, as the spiritual equivalent of breathing, right? We're inhaling God's grace. We're exhaling God's grace. If we're taking it in, we're giving it out as well. And I use this analogy because if, if you think about this, we need to inhale to live, right? That's intuitive for us. But it, it maybe takes us a beat longer to realize that we also need to exhale to live. Right? If you, you, you're dying of asphyxiation, most, most often what's happening in you first is the built-up carbon dioxide in your lungs doesn't have a way to escape. You feel that before you feel the absence of oxygen. You have to exhale if you're going to be a person who breathes. It can't just be the one. And Jesus tells a story to really drive this home. This idea that we can't just inhale grace. We can't just take in God's forgiveness. We have to give it out as well. Uh, It's in Matthew 18. It goes like this. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, pause for just a moment. So uh, the rabbis and the Talmud, they taught that a generous person would forgive someone up to three times for an offense. So Peter, he's being like super magnanimous here, right? Peter's like, okay, I'm starting to figure out this whole kingdom thing. Let's go with twice the norm plus one. How's that? You know, he's expecting gold star from Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, actually, no. Try 70 times seven. Or in other words, just stop counting, Peter. You don't really understand how this works. And then he explains Here's the story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. 
In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. This is, this is old, old school, old world bankruptcy law. This is how it worked. Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat, grabbed him by the throat and he said to him, oops, I lost a line. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to the prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. It's a powerful image, isn't it? A sobering one. Uh, The first man owes millions. Point being, it is an amount that he could never repay. In spite of his pleas, in spite of his promises, he could not ever repay this amount of debt. To be kind of super technical, the, uh, uh, even millions doesn't capture it. Uh, the amount that Jesus is describing here is basically the gross national product of a small country. You could not pay this back over the course of many lifetimes. It's impossible. And so... Uh, He has no hope of escaping this, but the king decides to forgive his debt anyway. Just wipes his record clean. But then the same man, confronted with another servant who owes him a few thousand dollars, a real amount for sure, but a tiny fraction of the debt that he's been forgiven, refuses to extend that grace himself. It's one of those stories that Like, we would be outraged at the brazen injustice of it if we weren't so quick to recognize, oh man, that's me. (laughs) Jesus is talking about me. And then suddenly we get onto the punishment and we're like, whoa, that's harsh. But the point here, and the king's response does feel harsh, but that's the point Jesus is making. If you are not forgiving people around you, if their debts are too big in your eyes, He says, you actually don't understand what the king has done for you. You don't understand what grace you have received. And, and I'm sure all of us can speak to this from experience, and living in unforgiveness is, in fact, torturous. And I, I don't read this as God is going to inflict pain on you to make you miserable until you finally forgive people. I read it more along the lines of, this is the reality that we live in. If we do not exhale grace as well as inhale grace, we live a tortured existence. We live a painful existence. Unforgiveness is a terrible burden to bear. And the Father would love to free you and I from that burden. 
How do we do it? How do we grow in grace, both as people who are able to take it in and people who are able to breathe it out? And friends, I, I would suggest, as simple as it sounds, that the greatest tool that we have for this is the daily praying of the Lord's Prayer. And this is the genius of what Jesus is doing here and in instructing his disciples this way. You may feel the need to pray for God's forgiveness for yourself, but he, Jesus says basically every time you feel that, do it, but also forgive the people that you are holding ransom to you as well. Uh, if you and I persist in this, if we make part of our, our daily habit praying for God's forgiveness and extend it to others, we will become people of greater grace. We will grow in this. And I, uh, I want to give us three, three aspects, three steps, I guess, if you will, but three aspects of what Jesus is saying here that factor into both receiving and giving grace. And we'll, we'll unpack each in turn, but uh, I want to talk about honesty. I want to talk about heart change. I want to talk about payment. All three of these go into both aspects of grace as we receive it and give it. Honesty is the first one. Grace always starts with telling the truth. We have to start with the truth. And when we pray, forgive us our debts, there is an acknowledgement there. There is a truth telling there, an acknowledgement that we have done something wrong, that there is something that requires forgiving. And I, I say that advisedly. I say forgiving in contrast to excusing which is not a full telling of the truth, right? Sometimes, many times, most of the time, we see our wrong and we move very quickly to justifying ourselves, right? We go right to, well, you know, it's been a hard week. I deserve to have an extra drink or two. Or we blame shift, right? I wouldn't need to click on porn my spouse was more available. Or, uh, or in regards to others, you know, I, normally I would never say something like that to a person, but did you hear what they said to me? Oh, it's their fault. Or we minimize, right? I'm not hurting anybody else. It's not a big deal. Does this even qualify as a sin? Honesty. Not excusing, but being fully honest. In receiving grace, honesty looks like confession. And confession, friends, confession is when we stop denying, excusing, blame shifting, or minimizing, and we simply say, I was wrong. Or, or better yet, we say, I sinned. And those are two really hard words to say. Uh, but they're true. And every day, they're true. Right? I've, I've told you, I've been praying the Lord's Prayer every day for I don't know how many years. I can't remember ever having a day where I didn't have something to confess, some area of my life to say, that was sin. God, I need your forgiveness for that. But friends, the, th the thing is, if you and I can't own what we did at that level of honesty, if we cannot say, I sinned, if we cannot say, I was wrong, then we're going to have a hard time truly receiving God's forgiveness. 
right? You're still going to be forgiven, right? Your, your forgiveness is not dependent on what you feel. It's dependent only on what Jesus has done on your behalf. But your experience of that forgiveness is going to be severely hamstrung if you're not in a place where you can tell the truth to the, the point of saying, I was wrong. I sinned. Uh, I sometimes, you know, I'll sometimes have, have people say to me, I just can't believe that God has truly forgiven me. Or a close cousin of this, I just can't forgive myself for what I've done. And listen, often the reason that our experience of forgiveness feels incomplete is because our honesty around our sin has been incomplete. Because it's been too painful for us to look ourselves honestly in the face and say that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And it's gotten lost in our different justifications. And so our experience of God's forgiveness is incomplete because he's not in reality, but in our own souls, in the depths of our own being, he's only forgiving part of it, the part that we've been able to own. There's got to be honesty about our own sin if we're going to experience uh, God's forgiveness in all its totality, in all of its healing goodness, right? This is super counterintuitive, but if we're going to be healed, if we're going to experience less pain from our sin, we have to look at square in the face and feel all the pain of the wrong that we've done first. Does that make sense? Now, that said, can you see what a gift Jesus is giving us in teaching us to pray in this way? How might it change your day-to-day life If you walked around in such freedom, knowing that your forgiveness is complete, knowing that Jesus has done everything needed for you on the cross, it's already done. Would you walk a little lighter if you could walk around with that knowledge right here every day? Jesus is inviting us to that. He says, make this how you pray every day. Take take some minutes. Say, Jesus, this is where I sinned. I need you to forgive me. Extending grace. When we're extending grace, honesty looks like naming the wrong that was done to you. Right? When it's us confessing our own sin, when it's us receiving, honesty looks like confession. When it's extending grace to others, honesty looks like naming the wrong that was done to you. And and very similar. Right? We're, We're contrasting this to excusing what was done for us or minimizing what was done or justifying what was done. Right? And, and this also can be counterintuitive, but we have a tendency to do that with those who wrong us, especially, especially if the person who hurt us is somebody that we really love. Because to, to admit to ourselves that someone we really love hurt us really deeply, well, we're, we're conflicted in that, right? We love them. But we have to tell the truth there as well, at least to ourselves, sometimes to that person too, That may or may not be part of what's needed, but at minimum what's needed is we need to be able to say to ourselves, what they did to me was wrong, and I am hurt by it. I've been wounded by that. Right? And you know what I'm talking about here? It can be too painful sometimes, so so we make excuses for a person, or we blame shift to ourselves. Right? Oh, they treated me that way because I did this. It's not really them. Well, if, if you did wrong... Own your wrong. Back to confession. But if they did wrong, they did wrong. 
they had a responsibility to respond appropriately to. So don't take on what somebody else did. We've got to name what that wrong is. Forgiving from the heart, you know, that's how that parable ended. Jesus said that I want you to forgive people from the heart. And I'm not sure we can do that if we don't tell the truth about what the wrong was. Uh, as, just as, I, as I've sat with people over the years who have, uh, are still like dealing with pains from childhood and wounds from their parents or from a spouse or an ex-spouse, uh, very often, very often, the forgiveness, they have to do it over and over again because it never reached the level of heart. And we get to that level of heart when we start telling the truth. So honesty. In, in receiving grace and giving grace, honesty is where we start. Second is heart change. Heart change comes next. And this is changing the way that we think. And with that will come changing the way that we feel about the sin. Right? I love that in our, our scripture here, Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Right? This teaching shows up elsewhere. It shows up in Luke's gospel too. And there it's forgive us our sins. And of course, they mean one and the same. But I love here that Jesus uses that word. Forgive us our debts. And in the parable as well, he uses a financial image there of a debt that's so big that it's unpayable. And in, in that verse, he says, uh, forgive us our sins, uh, the, the Greek word there is the, the Greek aphemi. Uh, and this is actually a financial term. It means to pay a bill, uh, to, to release a debt, or to, to settle a financial burden. And in putting it this way, Jesus is highlighting for us as listeners that our sins are not something abstract. Our sins are not us violating a, uh, a moral code that God arbitrarily set up. We are, in fact, taking an action uh, that incurs a debt. Uh, it takes it from the abstract, makes it something a bit more concrete. Maybe think about it this way. If, if we're leaving church today, and, uh, and I'm driving out of the, the parking lot, and I'm, I'm trying to text at the same time, and in doing so, I smash into the back of your car. And we get out of our cars, and we're talking to each other about this, and I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. This is my bad. I wasn't paying attention. And you say to me, because you're a super gracious person, you're like, hey, you know what? No big deal. You and I are good. Da-da-da. Well, there's still the matter of fixing your car. Either way, your car is still broken. And something has to be done about that. There's something concrete about sin. There is a debt that is incurred. Something has been damaged and repair needs to happen. Now hold that because that comes in with our next point too. But, uh, but, but here in this context, heart change. If we are receiving grace, the biblical word for this is repentance. This is the heart change that happens. We come to God in honesty. We confess our sin to him. And the heart change on our end is us coming and saying, I'm sorry. And there's a heart attitude that wants to make things right. That wants to make repair happen. A heart attitude that says to God, with your help, I'll do better. Or at least I want to. Now, we might ask here, and it's, it's worth, worth detailing this, but what if I'm not there? 
What if I'm showing up and I'm confessing to God sin that I really have no intention of changing? None of you have ever done that, but I have. So I'll just say for myself, that's happened. What do you do? Well, I'd say this. If you have enough wherewithal to show up in front of God and say, I sinned, I need your forgiveness. Well, be honest about that second part too. And say, I want to want to change, but I don't really want to yet. God can work with your, I want to want to. But show up honestly and say, I need your help, even in coming to a place of repentance. But we need to get there. We need to get there. And in praying the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us how to get there. How to make a daily part of our lives, coming to God, saying, okay, I want to be forgiven, but I also want to change. That's in receiving grace. It's repentance. Heart change and extending grace means we identify with the wrongdoer. Now, hang with me here, because this one hurts. Identify with the wrongdoer. We pray, forgive us our debts as, as we have forgiven. There's a connection. There's a connection between the one who is wronged and the one who is doing the wronging. It's interesting, several times in the New Testament, we're told to forgive just as Christ forgave us, right? There's that as again. We're told to forgive just as he forgave us. And then the parable, I think Jesus shows us so well in the parable. The the problem was that the servant couldn't identify with the one who sinned against him. He had no concept, even though he was being asked to forgive something that he was just forgiven for, he couldn't identify. He couldn't see the two as same. And we look at the parable and go, How could it be any more different? I mean, this is the same as it gets. You had a debt. It was forgiven. They had a debt. You didn't forgive. You know, it's right there. What could possibly be different? But here's the thing. In the human heart, mind, and soul, we have a seamless, boundless ability to say, oh, well, what I did wasn't like what they did. Oh, this isn't at all the same. Totally different. Apples and oranges. If it was apples, well, I could forgive them for apples because I I do apples. But I can't forgive oranges. Totally unforgivable. It's completely different. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand this at all. Yes, the particular offense may or may not be different. But grace is the same. They need it. You need it. There is no difference in this. And friends, hear this. You and I will never be accomplished as people who are able to give grace well until we can look at our fellow sinner and see that we are the same and see that we are both wrongdoers in need of forgiveness. There's a wonderful theologian named Miroslav Volf, and he, um, uh, uh, he was, was present. He was in the process of escaping the country during uh, the the great genocide that happened in the Slavic countries in the 90s. And he writes writes mostly about forgiveness, and he writes out of that context of seeing people slaughtered, many people that he loved lost their lives during that. And he writes this about forgiveness. He says, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of humans of sinners. Take that in. 
I exclude the enemy from the community of humans. I look at this person who has wronged me and I make them sub. I make them less than. I make them subhuman. And that allows me to justify my hatred towards them. And then he says, I do the opposite with myself. I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Right? And not that I deny all sin. But, you know, I don't sin like that guy. That guy, my sin's normal sin. Friends, you and I, if we are to excel at forgiving, we have to come to a place where we realize that we are co-sinners along with the person who wronged us, and they are co-humans, fallible, just as we are. That's heart change. This is three, payment. Maybe this is the hardest part. Payment. And again, you know, I love that Jesus said debt. Something is owed. Uh, a few years ago, well, I, guess, I guess it was by now a lot of years ago because the kids were pretty little, but uh, we had some friends over and their friends were over and the adults were in the backyard and we're eating food and the kids are inside and they're playing and it's all rambunctious and a lightsaber fight breaks out as, as happens. And in the midst of this, as they are assaulting each other with lightsabers, uh, one of our friend's kids just runs straight through the screen door, just takes the screen clean off, clean out, right? It was, in some ways, it was kind of beautiful. It was one of those things where it's like, wow, you can do that? <laughs> and, uh, and our friends are super apologetic, and they're like, oh, my gosh, my kids, I can't believe we did this, but da you know, let us pay for the screen door, and we're like, no, 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 it's fine, this happens, who hasn't run through a screen door during a lightsaber fight, could have just as easily been our kids, etc., etc., and we have, we have this whole thing, right? But at the end of the day, the fact remained, the screen was broken, and either they were going to pay for the screen, or we were going to pay for the screen. When it comes to our sin, as we're thinking about grace, Someone always pays. There is no such thing as a sin that doesn't get paid for. This is true if we're talking about the vertical dimension of of our relationship with God. It's true if we're talking about the horizontal and the sin that we commit against someone or they commit against us. Someone always pays. It's just the way that it is. When we're talking about receiving grace, Payment looks like this. It's to trust that Jesus has paid the entire debt. Uh, Underline on your paper, in your mind, entire. That he has paid the entire debt. Right Back to honesty, we need to tell the truth about the entirety of our sin. And then we need to trust that Jesus has paid the entire thing. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 2. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The debt that we owe, what, what the charges we have incurred as a result of our sin, Jesus paid them All those were paid for on the cross. 
Now, that's a reality. And whether we trust it or not, this is what Jesus has done. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, then your sins are forgiven. However, when we don't feel that, or we could say it this way, we don't trust that Jesus has paid it all when we keep trying to pay it ourselves. When you say things to God like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to church, or I'm going to give more, or I'm going to... You know, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father. And we're doing this not because we want to do those things or because those things will please God. They do. But when we're doing those things because we don't feel forgiven yet. And maybe, maybe, maybe if I can just do these things right, then I'll feel forgiven. It shows a failure of trust. It's us not trusting that the cross was enough. And Jesus wants something better for us, friends. She says, every day when you pray, you go to God and you pray. Forgive us our debts. Every day you're rehearsing this truth that Jesus paid it all. And when we come here and we open the scriptures and we come to the communion table, we're rehearsing it together every week that Jesus paid it all. There is nothing left for you and I to do but to receive. Receiving grace, the payment dimension, looks like trusting that Jesus has paid the entire debt. And extending grace, payment means this. It means that you and I choose inwardly to pay the debt. We choose to pay the debt against us. We say, I will pay for the screen door. We say, I will pay for the dents in your car. We say, I will pay for the words that you spoke to me. I will pay for the things that you did to me that were wrong. I will pay for the way that I was wronged. That's what it means to forgive. Dallas Willard, uh, the way he puts forgiveness has always resonated with me. He says, to forgive is to decide that we will not make a person suffer for the wrong they did to us. We will not make them suffer. They may suffer. Sin brings consequence, and there might be suffering part of that. There might even be legal consequences that come with what they did. We're not responsible to absolve a person of that. But we won't make them suffer. We pay the debt. Uh, uh, that Colossians passage, if you turn one page over, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with each other. You're paying the debt. That's the bearing with. I don't really want to deal with you because you hurt me and you bug me. But I'm bearing with. That's forgiveness. I'm not going to make you pay. I'm going to absorb that debt. Uh, this is, needless to say, this is very difficult. This is black belt level spirituality. If you're getting good at this, well, you're getting good at walking with Jesus. You are being transformed into his likeness because this is about as hard as it gets. Uh, and this is why Jesus says, I want you doing this every day. I want you, as often as you're asking forgiveness for your sins, I want you extending it to others as well. And friends, this is a gift. 
This is wonderful. Because that means that you and I don't have to carry the burden of making the other person pay. We don't have to cancel the person. We just cancel the debt. We absorb it on ourselves. Right? There's this verse in Romans, and he's quoting from the Old Testament. There's, there's a verse in Romans 12 where it says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And you probably know that one. I think it showed up probably on like every Western I've ever seen. Any movie with Clint Eastwood, I think that comes up somehow. But, you know, this, this whole matter of vengeance and, you know, vengeance being God's. And, and for the longest time I read that and I went, man, God's kind of mean, right? He's, he's going to be the payer backer. He's kind of mean. But actually, actually, when you read that in context, no. It's a tremendous kindness. What he's saying in Romans 12 and elsewhere is, You don't have to be the one to bring justice. You don't have to bring the person who hurt you to justice. I am going to be the one to do that. And that's an invitation. Can I trust him to do that? Can I trust him to bring justice and to do it in a way that is fair? And maybe even the better news in that is it also means when you and I are the perpetrator, and that happens a lot too, that God will be fair with us. That he will give us what we deserve as well. Henry Nouwen, a uh, Catholic priest, great uh, spiritual writer of the 20th century, says, by not forgiving, I chain myself to a desire to get even and thereby lose my freedom. A forgiven person forgives. This is what we proclaim when we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This lifelong struggle lies at the heart of the Christian Here's what this looks like for me. So, um, I'll I'll give you a a specific one, (laughs) though without details. Um, So, a few years back, I was was really hurt by uh, by a brother who had been part of the church and he'd said some unkind and untrue things about me, and um, and I I was super wounded. So I, I start praying, right? The next day, I'm, I'm praying the Lord's Prayer. I'm asking God's forgiveness for me, and I'm, I'm praying that God will help me forgive this person. And at this point, they are not a forgiven person in my heart. I'm just ticked. But I'm, I'm praying, God, even as you forgive me, give me grace to extend to this person as well. And, and at this point, like, I barely mean it, right? I, I barely even want grace to give to this person. I'm just ticked. So, um, but I'm, I'm praying it. And, uh, and usually, depending on how hurt I am, usually this phase, it, it takes a couple months. Like There's a while before the hurt in me can quiet down enough that there's able to be a little more sincerity in that prayer. But I pray it because it's in praying it that we get to the place, that, right? This is how we get from A to B. We, we pray it. And then a couple months go by, and, uh, and I, I find that, that I mean it. Find God, I really do want to forgive this person. Help me to really forgive this person. And so the prayer kind of shifts. And my praying of this part of the Lord's Prayer gets a little different at that point. And um, some months after that, I, uh, I realized as I was praying for this person that the hurt wasn't there anymore. Or, I mean, if I really dug for it, it was there, but it was, it was a dull hurt. It wasn't an active hurt. And several months after that, as I was praying for this person, I realized, you know what? I miss them. I miss having this person in my life. 
I'd love to be able to sit down and break bread with this person. Right? And I think getting, getting from that point of just like, I'm mad, I hate them, to I'm hurt, but I love them, and I want the best for them. In the case I'm talking about, I think it probably took me about a year. Uh, other lesser hurts, it takes longer. I've got some doozies in my rearview mirror that have taken many years to forgive. Uh, but my point is, and I share that, because the way we get from point A to B, the way we get from being a person who's just hurt to being a person who's able to give grace like Jesus gives grace, doesn't happen on its own, friends. It happens as we pray. So Jesus says, when you pray, this is how I want you to do it. Part of that prayer is forgive us our debts, even as we've forgiven those uh, who have hurt us as well. Let's pray together.